Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Feeling Lighter podcast, where we are shedding old beliefs that no longer serve us one episode at a time. The bottom line, how you feel about yourself changes everything. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Um, All right, Lisa, how you doing? Excited to be here and for our guest today. I know. (laughs) Today we're going to be, the title of this episode is Diets Don't Work. Now what? There's been a lot of, and I'm actually really excited for this conversation Mm -hmm. because there's a lot in the media around how diets don't work right now. And that's wonderful. We need that exposure. But we don't talk a lot about, okay, well then what do we do? We (laughs) We just are acknowledging it. And then diet culture wants to come back and take us back into that narrative. So I'm really excited. I'm going to, I think you're going to read the the guest bio today and then we're going to jump right in. Yes. Let's do it. All right, today we're talking to Sam Previtt. She is a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, certified personal trainer, and the founder of the Find Food Freedom. She is also a lover of all things media, hosting the Find Food Freedom podcast, co-hosting of the What the Actual Fork podcast, speaking at summits, and featuring in many national news segments, including NBC News, CBS Mornings, and the Drew Barrymore Show. Hey. She earned her bachelor's of science at Penn State University and then went to Adagio Health in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to earn her RD credential. After completing traditional schooling, she went on to gain additional certifications in intuitive eating and body image, which is where she found her true passion and Find Food Freedom was born. Sam and her team say no to diet culture BS and yes to unbiased, fair health care. Her team works with clients who know that dieting does not work and has harmed their health, but have no idea how to break away from the diet cycle. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me Absolutely. and for such a warm welcome. Of course. We're excited to get into this today. I got a comment on your bookshelf. I see you. I see that rainbow, rainbow. book <laughs> color situation Love happening. Love me some home edit. Love me some home me edit. too. And I'm like, <laughs> feeling that. Um, but welcome, Sam. Uh, we're really excited to have this conversation around uh, diets. Let me start by asking, how did you get into doing this work? Like, what brought you here today? Oh, such a good question. Um, so I like to say that I started in this field as unfortunately many dietitians do very disordered myself. Mm-hmm. I went into healthcare, definitely wanting to help people, but thinking that uh, back when I came into the field, thinking that I was going to help people lose weight, I was going to figure out the magic answer myself <laughs> and then help everybody else do that. And life was going to be great. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, graduating college, sitting for my national boards. I hated my body more than ever. I had a horrible relationship with food. I had terrible imposter syndrome. And I sat sat there thinking, I don't have the magic answer yet. And somehow I'm qualified to go out and help other people do Mm, this. And uh, I started in private practice. I started helping people intentionally lose weight and it felt really icky. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of shame. There was a lot that would come up in sessions with people. And I saw how unsustainable it was. And it wasn't until I was introduced to the intuitive eating framework 
that I was like, oh my gosh, light bulb moment. Intentional weight loss is not the magic answer. The magic answer is actually not focusing on intentional weight loss. And then we can genuinely better our health physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, So I'm forever grateful for the intuitive eating framework for saving me because I was very ready to leave the field of dietetics altogether. Um, And fast forward to today, we have an online community of over 700,000 people. We service people all over the globe virtually in our private practice. And our mission is to help people make peace with food in their body. And I feel very grateful to do this work. That is incredible. That is incredible. I love, you said 700,000? Yeah, between TikTok, Instagram, you know, all the platforms if you add them together. That is beautiful. I want, I know we're going to get into the what now, like what do we do? But I Mm -hmm. think for our listeners, you know, if they're new to this understanding that diets don't work, can you just briefly tell us why diets don't work? And like, where's the data and the research for the people? I know for me, that type of stuff was important when I came to walk away from diet culture in my personal journey. I needed to see some science there before I just went with it. So can you give us that little history and then we'll, you know, go from there? Absolutely. So when we look at the research of dieting, what we have to understand is there are zero randomized control trials, which are like the gold standard of research mm-hmm. that show sustained weight loss greater than two years for any diet. Yeah. And when we look at the diet research in our in our country, a lot of it, there's a lot of bias there. And a lot of it leaves out the psychological and the behavioral implications of dieting, mm-hmm. AKA mental health and eating disorder and that disordered part. eating. So sure. And, you know, when we look at some of these studies, there might be a, you know, a 30 day weight loss or this person lost this percentage of body weight, but there's no follow up with that person one, two years later. Right. There's no one looking at the psychological relationship with food, how they're now afraid to walk in the room and be in front of a carb, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot there, um, but a lot of the research shoot. Two, we know is that restriction fuels binging. So when we do any form of restriction or restrictive dieting, we're going to feel out of control around food and it's going to cause binge-like behaviors. We know that two-thirds of dieters will gain back more weight than they originally lost on the diet leading them to feel like they're the failure when really this is conclusive with the research that we know that restrictive dieting has that effect of that bouncing back when we're going, when we're dropping our metabolism like that. We're going to see that kind of bow and arrow like behavior with that gain. Um, We know that dieting is the number one predictor of eating disorder, which is the second leading cause of mental of death and mental illness in our country. Can you repeat that? Because I don't think I don't think I don't think people know that at at a large scale. And this is only information I learned maybe a year ago. But say that again, please. Yes. So we know that dieting is the number one predictor of having a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. And we know that eating disorder is the second leading cause of death in mental illness in this country. And it's why we do not talk about that. Mm-mm. No. And what's even crazier, you know, being someone who's so informed in this space is that typically eating disorder behaviors are glorified are. in our mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. right? Restrictive eating, cutting out food groups, cutting out ingredients, being the air quotes, healthy one that packs their lunch and isn't allowed the pizza at the pizza party, right? Like there's We look at eating disorder behaviors and so much of it is celebrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
It's a really, really important thing to look at. So I apologize, Dr. Lisa. I just threw so many facts at you, but you let me know if you want me to keep going. I'm or good. All of that. <laughs> no, I thank you for that. That's great information. And people don't know these things. So it bears repeating. So no, thank you. you that was perfect. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you, you said it in, in a much better way, but I want to summarize and, and reflect back to you what I just heard. Yeah. It's that research shows us. So I'm going to actually do it this way. The media shows us that diets are good. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. research shows us that diets are harmful. Very. Mm -hmm. And so those are very different. It's not like, oh, we're trying to get, you know, diets don't work, so we're just going to be neutral about it. Diets are harmful. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, one thing I want to point out, because chances are anybody listening to this podcast has dieted before. Right. Um, it's very, it's more so common to have dieted than to not have dieted. When we look at women ages 25 to 45, 65% um, identify as disordered eaters and an additional 10% identify as clinically diagnosed eating disorder. That is leaving out the the thousands and thousands of people who never go diagnosed right. or never seek treatment or help. So it's so common. And so I never want anyone listening to feel guilt or shame. It is very understandable why we want to diet for exactly what you said, Katie. The media makes us feel like it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. We also live in a very fat phobic world where yes. there is such thing as thin privilege, which that's a whole other conversation we can go down. And when we talk to clients and ask them, why do you diet? Mm. It's typically two reasons. One, to lose weight mm -hmm. in hopes of bettering health. Yeah. When we know through research that weight loss does not equal health mm. and can actually have harmful um, outcomes. And two is to feel better about ourselves. But we know, again, through research, when we look at body image and relationship with self, that shrinking our body does not equal self love. And so the more that we unpack why are we dieting and get curious about that, then we can start to have these conversations, lose the guilt and shame because chances are we've all dieted before and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just confronting the why. Yeah. Why are we doing it and what are we trying to achieve? Mm. You just summed up the mission of We Shape. Right. So appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it looks like we align in our missions then. That is yeah. wonderful. Um, yeah, it's not to shame or judge people who want to lose weight or who have tried dieting or who are on that path. Uh, yeah. It's to bring awareness around the data that shows us how it can be harmful. And yeah. so mm -hmm. proceed with caution a little bit. You know, like I don't yeah. ever want to judge anybody in terms of where they are on their path. Lots of people Correct. come into our community and they still are on the path of like, I want to pursue weight loss. Mm -hmm. And it's not my job to tell them what to do with their body. Right. But Correct. it is my job to give them information yes. about what the science says because it's very different than what the media says. So that way I Correct. feel like people can at least make a decision having the full story. Absolutely. Yes. And it Inform seems like that's the, that's the first step maybe, like getting the information. So yes. you know now, like, okay, this isn't good for me. Like Katie said, this is not something to necessarily be neutral about. This has harmed me and harmed other people. So what comes after that? What's the next step? And like, okay, I'm going to be done with diets, but what? how do I start to replace whatever diets field in my life for me? What do I do now? 
Great question. So I think that stage one, we have different stages within the intuitive eating framework. And stage one is exactly what you were just saying. It's, I call it diet rock bottom. It's the building awareness that dieting doesn't work and that it's harmful and that it hasn't helped us. We can stay in this stage for a really long time. And it's really hard to get out of this stage, especially if we've been dieting for five, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, where our entire life's mission and purpose has felt like chasing a smaller body is what we were put on this earth to do. So sometimes we sit in awareness for a really long time. We, we unpack belief systems about bodies, body sizes, our own body, our relationship with food. So coming back to, um, if we're looking at the intuitive eating principles, principle number three is making peace with food. So that's removing the morality that's associated to food. Mm-hmm. That is something that we we definitely work with. But I would say to summarize, once we have the awareness, we have to f- first start working with our beliefs around food and body size. Mm-hmm. Because you could be following any meal plan, any calorie count, I mean, you name it, you can be following it. But if you still have guilt and shame associated to food, your choices are going to be rooted with a much different intention Mm. than being able to listen to your body, listen to your body's cues um, if if every choice is rooted in morality associated to food. This is what... um, So this is where things get tricky Mm -hmm. because, um, you know... Food, we need food to live. Yes, we do. (laughs) So when people are struggling with various things in life, many things, if they're struggling, they can just refrain from even participating. Food is not one of those things. We need it. And so that creates complexity. Um, There's also a certain powerlessness over like, I have this visual sometimes of like literally like a fish being in a river coming down and swimming up that stream of like every message around me tells me that I need yes. to do the opposite and, and go back into those patterns I used to have. But I wanna take a moment to also empower people because one of the things that was really helpful for me, just on a personal level, was curating my content a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. if I, that was like, so it's like if we're trying, you, the reason I'm thinking about this is because you're like, oh, we, we sometimes get in this position of like understanding, but then getting stuck there and not knowing what to do next because the beliefs are so rooted. Yeah, let's have space and compassion for ourselves in that. It's a lot of unwinding. And one of the ways that I think could help our listeners understand is like, you are responsible for the content that you curate. And um, your life will not suffer from unfollowing the fitness model on Instagram. Like you might be like, oh, but in fact, it might get better. Yeah, I I argue (laughs) it would. And so part of the reason I love doing this podcast and bringing exposure to other people in this space doing similar work to WeShape is here's another person you can follow that's going to reiterate the new message that you'll see day in and day out. My Instagram feed is not what it used to be. My Instagram yeah. feed is the work that you do. It's the work that Lisa does. It's yeah. the, it, this is this is what I get to bathe in now. Right. And so then when mm-hmm. I get the thoughts of the oh well I should or da 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 da, I go oh wait remember you're not that fish alone in the yeah. stream. You thought you were, but that was because you were surrounding yourself with people who shared those beliefs. Yep. There are yeah. so many people out there who share a different belief, who are offering a different path that's available to you if you want it. Yes. 
That's powerful. Yes, I love that. And I want to, if I could piggyback off of you, Katie, you know, people are listening to this, so they can't see me. But something that I think is very important in being a professional in this space is recognizing my privileges. I am a thin, white, cis, hetero, able-bodied woman. And although it's very important for me to do this work, a huge part of my work is also lifting people up that are doing this work that look nothing like me. And specifically in the fitness space, I think it's so common to see and wealth, or excuse me, health and wellness space. Mm -hmm. It's very common to see dietitians that all look the same. Mm -hmm. And so to find people of all genders, sexualities, colors, body size, some of my favorite fitness ones, and you may have already had them on the pod, but Meg Boggs, Lauren Lavelle, Decolonizing Fitness, 300 Pounds and Running. Mm -hmm. There are, like you said, loads of people doing amazing work and it is so important to diversify our feed and switch it from what diet culture tells us is perfect and beautiful because like you said the information is important and the people delivering it is is equally as important i'm glad you said that thank you and yes some of those are already in my feed and you're amazing it's very important but i hope our listeners will follow some of those people as well yeah Oh, this is a (laughs) fruitful conversation and I appreciate your mindfulness and awareness around um, how we can create different exposure because Mm -hmm. this is the funny thing. When we do that and we, we start giving our attention to this path, the only reason why the other path thrives is because we give it attention. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I really am so grateful that so many people are doing this work. You know, when we had our podcast coordinator looking for guests and we're launching an affiliate program to partner with people, I was like, oh, I hope we find enough people. And then I went, oh my God, there are a lot of people doing this work. How incredible. We just don't get they don't get as much attention, right? right. And yeah. so that can change. And, and it, we choose that algorithm. So just <laughs> feel that empowerment. Because sometimes I used to get a little victim-y of it. Like, oh, For man, sure. no one understands. And yeah. And I get that. And now I'm like, oh, but if I look for the other yeah. path, it's there. It's ready. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's ready. Yes. So let me ask... Um, we kind of already went over why diets can be so I don't I think we've got the science there. Yes. <laughs> um, tell us what food freedom is. Like what does that mean to you and uh, give yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about food freedom. Yeah, so food freedom is having no morality tied to food. Mm-hmm. It's being able to make decisions around food based on our hunger on our fullness, on what's going to satisfy us in that moment, which is going to change vastly from day to day, minute to minute, depending on the weather or how much we've moved our body that day or what we've previously eaten or eaten that day. Um, Food freedom is the ability to say yes to food when we want it and say no to food when we don't want it. Mm. I think there's a big misconception of food freedom is just eating all the things all the time. (laughs) And yes, we do have unconditional permission to eat. That is such an important piece of it. But we also have the ability to check in with ourselves, listen to our bodies and say no, if we don't want something. Um, And food freedom, having food freedom and not having morality tied to food allows you to be present in life's greatest moment. So I think of one of my clients and one of the many you know messages we get from people saying, you know, I was able to go to a wedding this weekend and I was able to 
wear a dress that felt comfortable and I felt beautiful, dance like nobody was watching, enjoy the food, but not feel overly stuffed and have physical pain, right? Go and talk to people that I didn't know because I had confidence. Whereas in the past, I would have told myself I needed to be good, restricted everything that day, gorged myself on the food, felt physically unpleasant, sat at the table, not talked to anyone because I was too concerned with how much I ate, what I looked like in the dress, and how when we have food freedom... We have such enhanced life satisfaction and can enjoy present moments because it's not about the food. Life is about so much more than food. So having food freedom. We'll be back in just a moment. As a reminder, the Feeling Lighter podcast is a part of WeShape, a fitness app that is taking a very different approach. And I wanted to let everyone know about our upcoming Best Moves For You Masterclass that WeShape is hosting that you can sign up for free. Take a look at weshape.com forward slash class or click the link in the show notes. And now back to the Feeling Lighter podcast. Um, really brings just such more of a joyful life. I like that. It opens you up to, to receive like the important stuff around you and to be present. That, um, that is awesome. When you talk about food freedom and not attaching morality, I think for me that concept made sense. Like, oh, yeah, because if I say this is junk and trash but I'm eating it, then I'm like assigning those beliefs about myself Mm -hmm. or to other people. But I do have a question digging a little deeper into that. What do you feel about the labels that we put on food, like healthy, unhealthy, (laughs) like this isn't good for you. This is really good for you. Like where, how do we break down the nuance in that? Yeah. Yeah, Language language. is so important because I think that we just like say what we hear, but we're not conscious of the language. And so doing this work has open I think Lisa and I up to this idea of like the language is so important Mm -hmm. and then we both have young children and so I know like Oh, Same. how am I saying the, the what is this language to you? So let's can, let's go into the example that Lisa gave around the let's just say the term healthy and, and, not, healthy. and not healthy. Can we talk? Yes. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. So what's so important? I first of all, I love that you are so aware of language because that's such a huge part of this conversation. I do not use the words healthy and not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing this work. So I replace those with nutrient dense and less nutrient dense is how I kind of refer to those foods. So I think what's important to note is that when we say the word healthy, Mm -hmm. if we all had a notebook in front of us, pulled out a pen and wrote down our definition of healthy, they would look vastly different, all of these definitions, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's going to pull in our lived experience, our health history, our relationship with food, our biases, body image. (laughs) Yes, our biases, all of these things. So I think it's so important to recognize that everybody defines the word healthy differently. Mm -hmm. But when we come from diet culture, a lot of times healthy and good are tied together in this package, right? right? So when I say removing morality from food, what I mean from that for people that might be newer to this is if I ask someone, are you a bad person for eating pizza or cake or cookies or ice cream? Like, is, does that change your worth as a human being? Those say most people say no. Right. But then I ask them, do you feel guilty mm. for eating pizza, cake, cookie, ice cream, et cetera? And they'll say yes. 
And we know that guilt is a moral emotion yes. tied to our, our morals and our ethical code, which we should only feel guilt if we're doing something that breaks that code of ethics. So cheating, lying, stealing, right? Something like that. So we should never feel guilt for eating something that is necessary to keep us alive. So that's what we call a cognitive dissonance. Our logic and our belief systems don't match up. So that's that stage one of kind of removing the good and bad language, seeing food as neutral. But I often find that, like you were saying, Dr. Lisa, healthy and not healthy kind of like enters the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to recognize there is nothing wrong with genuinely wanting to improve your health, right? Health is not a moral obligation. We don't owe it to anyone. Mm -hmm. And if you do want to better your health, you should not feel guilt or shame for that either. Absolutely. I think when people use the words healthy, not healthy, they may be newer to this and not know how loaded those words can be for people. But I, with clients, I try to replace with nutrient dense, less nutrient dense, and talk about how nutrition education and nutrition science can be really strong tools to use in recovery and to learn how to fuel and nourish our bodies properly. And the language that we use can support that and make sure it doesn't pull more guilt and shame back into our eating experiences. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wanna I wanna ask a question about that, but I hope you don't take it as like me um, challenging your expertise. Yeah, in this. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go Sometimes ahead. Sometimes I worry about the word less nutrient dense because do mm-hmm. you think that human beings like instantly? attached to it's not as good as less than I don't know this is this is where I get so stuck because like Mm -hmm. I want food neutrality in my house so bad (laughs) with my young children and with myself if we're being truthful um and so it's like yeah this is where I get always stuck every time is the nutritional science or you know versus food neutrality so I don't know I just want to have curiosity about the terminology, I guess, a little bit more. I love that. And I love that you're, you're challenging this and bringing it up. So I think one thing to always recognize with kiddos is that they don't have, yes, they have exposure to other messages, but more so than us three, right? We all have our lived experiences we grew up in and the commercials and the magazines and all this, like our children are so innocent and don't know the diet culture BS that we've had to put up with thus far. So when they see a cookie and a piece of watermelon, they don't see good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. They see cookie and watermelon. They don't see nutrient dense or less nutrient dense. They just see two items. And so I think this is where education with the verbiage can be great. And that's not to say that my, I'm saying I'm right. Like I would love to hear what verbiage you ladies use. Um, But when it comes to the education piece, I think it's just having those conversations of saying, let's, let's stay on our cookie and watermelon example. Both of these food items are a wonderful source of carbohydrates. One of them has solely or mostly carbohydrates. And one of them has carbohydrates and more vitamins, minerals, and hydration to it. Mm. So both of these have carbs, which make both of them nutrient dense. So you could almost substitute what I said and say more nutrient dense 
and nutrient dense versus the nutrient dense and less, less nutrient dense. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. I'm getting too um, nuanced, I think. <laughs> no, I but I understand it because you're so aware and you don't want to do harm. And I think if anything, that's like, that's a beautiful reasoning to challenge this. But I think it's important to note whether it's cake, cookies, pizza, chips, whatever that fear food is or that food that diet culture told you you can't have, it is nutrient dense because if you only ate that food for the rest of your life, it would keep you alive and it has the nutrients that your body needs. So I love your question. And I would love to hear if you don't mind sharing with me what verbiage you use in your household. I mean, Lisa might need to take this one first because I'm still learning. <laughs> because my daughter's 10 and I didn't start going down this path of food neutrality till uh, only a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I started going down this path is that um, she was in the middle of having uh, being treated for Lyme disease. And one okay. of the recommendations was to have her off as in many inflammatory foods as possible. So we were not having her on wheat. She would beg us for gluten uh, and wheat because, of course, it's everywhere, and she she wanted it, and, and damn, it tastes good, mm-hmm. and it's delicious. And um, then she came to me one day because we caught her sneaking it, and she said, what was I supposed to do? You put me in gluten jail, and I was going to let myself out of it. So you could let me mm-hmm. out, or I'm going to let myself out. Wow. And I was like, you can eat as much gluten as you want. <laughs> and then I went, you're creating disordered eating in your home. <laughs> <laughs> and so that really shook me at my core. And so I, I'm still unraveling with her mm. because she got the messaging of I um, of my own disordered eating up until she was about eight years old. Okay. okay. So I'm still learning the language. Oh, and to be very clear, I've been on this journey about five years, but my oldest daughter is 12. So mm-hmm. she encountered mommy as the fitness instructor who would say, put down that candy bar and get a salad or who would say that's junk food. Don't eat that or you're going to gain weight. I, I did all that. So I have the same exact experience, probably worse in some instances because it wasn't even from like an illness. It was just about my belief system being very, very, very much into diet culture. So as I've transitioned, my kids have had to sort of follow me (laughs) and they probably are like, whoa, mom is way different than she used to be, especially my older two. But now I say, I say, I typically say more nutritious and a little less nutritious, but I buy them everything because my experience as your daughter was sneaking things, my daughter uh, in the second grade, she was stealing snacks from her friend's and classmates mm-hmm. lunch bags because yeah. all we had in the house were carrots and cucumbers and yeah. just stuff she didn't want to eat all day. And um, so she saw Doritos for the first time or mm-hmm. Cheetos and she was like taking. And so we had to have meetings with the teacher and conversation. So I am also unraveling and trying to undo the damage that I unintentionally, you know, created. But I, I do, I typically say, you know, you're going to go ahead and eat something. I just tell my kids things like, you know, you have cookies, you have Oreos in the pantry, you have, um, all everything you could imagine, we have it all. And I'll sometimes say, "Hey, you know, you've only been snacking on the Oreos today. You know, your tummy. Think about if your tummy's gonna like it or not. Think about if you want a fruit or something or a vegetable. And you know, sometimes I'm not good at it, <laughs> but we're it's a constant work in progress to get them to understand the value of checking in with themselves and then using like when they get a stomach ache from what they ate all day to kind of mm-hmm. talk about like, okay, so how did that feel? What did we eat today? Uh, how can we make some changes tomorrow? And sometimes they do it over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm still work. I say all that to say, I'm still working through this as well as a parent because it's hard and this is all I had to go off, you know, go from. So 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I please just add, as you both were speaking and sharing your story, I was getting choked up and I'm getting choked up now being a mother that like, wow, you are both such cycle breakers and it's, this is what it's all about. Like your daughters, your children get to see you breaking a cycle, being human and saying, I, mommy didn't know right. what she knows now. And how beautiful. Thank how beautiful. You. Thank you. I, you know, it's reminding me of this little experiment that I did the other week. We were watching a movie and I had brought out some cookies and a couple candy bars, uh, chocolate bars or whatever. And um, the kids looked at me and they were like, oh, can we have some? How much can we have? And I said, I don't know. What do you what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. And they paused and they were like, dang, normally this woman's dishing it like it's under her terms. And they just took the exact appropriate amount. <laughs> I was like, right. oh my, like in terms of what I, like they didn't, what I mean by that is they didn't like have, they didn't like get a Shove tummy ache. Yeah, I exactly. was thinking if I give them permission to make this decision for themselves, they're going to eat six cookies each and two chocolate bars each. Yeah. And they didn't do that. Right. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it is, in my opinion, a little bit of like one kind of giving them that body autonomy to say, you can try it out and see what feels good. And right. then me mm-hmm. sort of like even energetically just getting kind of soft about it and saying, it's okay. Right. You know, it's okay mm-hmm. if they make a decision that you don't think is good for their body. You're not in their body. You know, right. it's like there's this weird thing in our culture where parents have been given permission to be such the authority of over people. And yes, we need to keep them safe Absolutely. and in school and doing very, but like they're also very intelligent beings mm-hmm. and um, have infinite wisdom that we are trying, that we have essentially conditioned out of them. So I don't know. I think just being open to experimenting is helpful. Um, and then trying to evaluate like what comes up for me when I do that experimentation. Cause I was instantly like, Oh no, they're going to each do two, you know? <laughs> and it's like, that didn't even happen. And if it did, maybe it needed to happen. Maybe they so needed to feel ill and it. then make that, you know, feel that sensation in their body and then make a different decision next time or not. Or not. Maybe it takes 10, yeah. 20 times. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's hard oh, work no. because it's so nuanced, yeah. right? Like, so nuanced. And um, so I appreciate you, like, even having the conversation about me questioning the less nutrient, right? Because I just, I want to, like, wrap my mind around, it's like, I feel like I know what doesn't feel good to say or do, but I haven't always had the language around, okay, well, then what? Then what? Yeah, how do we mm-hmm. replace it? Which is great. Yeah. And I think this episode is all about that. I want I want to ask a question slightly shifting gears, because in your work as a dietitian, Obviously, people are referred to you for a myriad of reasons, right? And I know Mm -hmm. that you still get people that come to you and say, I really need to lose weight, but I really need to Mm -hmm. lose weight. What do you do with that? Like, how do you how do you handle that? How do you approach that? We talked about like it's not our job to change everyone's mind, but also we have to give them information. So what do you do in those instances? And how have you seen like success in working with clients that come to you with that that thought? Absolutely. This is a great question. So one thing I would say is we're very fortunate at our practice at Find Food Freedom because the majority of our clients do come from social media where they see our messaging, they see what we do, they see our mission. So usually the people coming to us are saying, I don't want to diet anymore. I've dieted for 20 plus years. I don't want to chase intentional weight loss anymore, but I don't know how to get away from this. So there's more of an understanding there. Um, We do not take on clients that come to us and say, I want to intentionally lose weight. We will refer them 
outward. Again, there's no guilt or shame. They have right. full body autonomy, but we will refer outward because we do not um, support intentional weight loss. Yeah. So that is one thing that is helpful, I think, on being a weight inclusive provider is being very intentional with your language so clients know upfront what you do and don't do. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, I get questions all the time, of course, on social media or in interviews of, but I need to lose weight for my health. Mm-hmm. Like I hear that yeah. all the time, right? So again, I think it's just putting on the curious cap and becoming a detective and say, okay, tell me, tell me more, tell me more are like the three most magical words that exist (laughs) in counseling. Because when someone's saying I need to lose weight for my health, I genuinely, genuinely want to know, tell me more. What does that mean to you? So for someone, it's, I need to lower my hemoglobin A1C and I have type two diabetes Mm. or I have cholesterol, you know, high cholesterol, or I have cancer or, you know, whatever that thing is, then we're going to talk, you know, we're going to provide them just like Katie had said earlier. It's not our job to convince people not to diet, but it is our job to provide the evidence and the research and say, where do you want to go from here? And so a lot of what we do, you know, we are registered dietitians working in a weight inclusive paradigm. So what I mean by that is we remove the guilt and shame so we can make decisions and shift behaviors that are going to benefit our health physically, mentally, and emotionally. So to go back to your question, Dr. Lisa, I apologize. (laughs) I'm going all over. No apologies. Go ahead. We we will provide the the evidence around weight science, Mm -hmm. allow someone to make an informed decision for themselves, refer outward or refer, you know, to someone else if that's what they're looking for. And, or if they are ready to try a weight inclusive, you know, form of counseling will start removing the guilt and shame around food. So then they can start to make decisions Mm -hmm. that aren't all rooted in intentionally shrinking the body Mm. because it's really, really hard to engage in movement. We enjoy work on stress management techniques, increase variety of foods, work on hydration, like some of these basic behavior changes that genuinely improve our health, uncoupled from changing our body. Mm-hmm. Those are still going to feel icky and diety if we still have guilt and shame wrapped up with our ah, relationship yeah. with food. That's so the we're key. always going to start there first, create this neutrality around food and body, if possible, with body image. And then get to that if and when we're ready. Um, But it's really important to start with more of the mental, emotional relationship to food first. What Katie says, like every episode, it's targeting Mm -hmm. the mindset. So I think just to reiterate for the listeners, what you're saying is we can improve our health. We can lower our A1C. We can lower our cholesterol. We can normalize our blood pressure without necessarily changing the size or weight of our bodies. Yes, ma'am. So and, if you and go that to, the it, media has overinflated <laughs> the yes. importance and connection between weight and health. Correct. It, there, that is one tiny sliver mm-hmm. of a much larger pie that is Correct. responsible for quote unquote health outcomes. Correct. So you're saying it, it, it let's 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 focus on the other slices of the pie and give that some attention <laughs> right. and stop focusing on the weight loss in particular because it's actually not help with the the signs we said in the beginning is showing us it's not actually helping us it's not helping us correct and when we look at the determinants of health which come out of the world health organization all of 
the things that impact our health. Weight is under the genetics and biology section that of part. that research. They like, don't even talk about that. That is... <laughs> That's a whole nother episode, right? Like right. the genetic blueprint. Like we do, there is a set point theory that talks about our weight range that we have very little change in. But when we look at their individual behaviors, which make up 36% of our overall health, that includes variety of foods consumed, hydration, sleep, stress management, movement, all of those things that I just named. Yep. Yes, all of those things are uncoupled from changing the size of our body. And when we look at social connectedness, which is 24% of our overall health, that's wow. even more than in our genetics and biology. These are things that are so important. And none of it has to do with the size of our body. Uh. Okay, well, I think that our listeners got a lot from this episode. So um, before we let you go, though, Sam, I got to ask the big Feeling Lighter podcast question, which is, what is a belief that you once had that you no longer have, that you've shed, that has changed your life in a big way? Mm. I would say the, the new belief that has come with letting go of the old belief is that rest is productive. Mm. I, I love this one. subscribed for so long to the idea of I have to be doing and producing to be worthy, to be loved, to, you know, whatever that need I was trying to meet. But I have been working so hard and still have to work at it every day to recognize that rest is productive. Mm. I like that. that. I love that we're ending on that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Sam. Where can people find you to get more information? Yes. Um, easiest place would probably be Instagram. Our handle is at find.food.freedom or TikTok is find food freedom, no dots. <laughs> and then if people want free resources, want to learn more about intuitive eating, they can go to findfoodfreedomresources.com. I love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.